It's a good time of year to be a sports fan, my fellow confidants. We've got MLB playoffs starting. In fact, as of recording right, this right now, I believe the first playoff game, the first wildcard game is going on at the moment. Uh, we've got NBA basketball coming up. Uh, we just had one of the biggest, probably the biggest move of the offseason, if my memory corrects, is leading me correctly. Really the only move of the offseason, Damian Lillard going to the Milwaukee Bucks in a three-team deal that ended up basically being a four-team deal because uh, Portland ended up moving Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics. Um, but the the big move, Damian Lillard going to the Milwaukee Bucks, and that is the NBA season is right around the corner to start, so that's not far, not far off either. And we got Jimmy Butler yesterday doing, I guess, two days. Well, yesterday for me, whenever you're listening to this, it was Tuesday, the October second. For those that are tuning in late, um, Jimmy Butler came to uh, training camp media day. I think is what it's called, just media day in general. And uh, he was dressed. Uh, he was he he does this thing now, which. I love, I love what he has kind of turned media day into. It's basically, I think he even said it was his Halloween, which I love. And whenever they take pictures of Jimmy Butler uh, during this media day, those are the official headshots that are used for like ESPN broadcasts, NBA, anything NBA broadcast. So TNT, that sort of stuff. Those are all the headshots that are used during those days. So he came in wearing like, and his hair was like a classic tooth, like mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, 2007, like emo boy he had like fake lip piercings and eye piercings and stuff. And he had one eye covered with his hair. It was awesome. It was so funny. And last year, if you remember correctly, he had uh, those incredibly long dreadlocks that he wore all the way down to like, like mid shoulder or whatever that he, you know, I think it pretty much just cut off right after that. But that was the headshot that they had to use. And I appreciate what Jimmy Butler's doing with media day. It's kind of just a joke for him. And I appreciate that. I think that's really funny. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see that headshot that he's got now that he's going to be using for the rest of the year. It's going to be a, a, a really good headshot that everybody should appreciate. Uh, we also have football. It's football time, baby. It's football time of year, obviously. Um, we'll get to college football, some NFL stuff. But I want to start off today as the big intro of the show. I want to talk about kickoffs because I think the art of kickoffs in general has really... Uh, gone by the wayside ever since we moved the kickoff position from the kicking team to the 35 yard line it has essentially only incentivized touchbacks which I don't necessarily have a problem with them incentivizing the touchbacks because there was a lot of injury problems from the typical kickoffs that we were seeing back uh, when it was doing it when they were doing it from the 30 or whatever it was um, just it, the, the rule came to it became official in 2016 so basically pre-2016 uh every kickoff you saw was almost never going to be a touchback it was more often than not a run back even dating back just looking at a a a random year here if you go back to 2010 um baltimore had the highest touchback percentage which was 46.15 percent compare that and that was in 2010 uh, the next closest to them was Las Vegas, who had a 31.18% uh, touchback percentage. Uh, at the very bottom, Tampa Bay, they had a 1% touchback percentage. So 1% of their kickoffs were resulting in touchbacks, which means 99%, I guess 98.5% of their kickoffs technically uh, were ending up in returns. Um, and if you go to 2022, this past season, New York Jets led the way with a 79, 79% touchback percentage 
and there are seven teams that are in the 70th percentile. The lowest team is 22%. So there's a pretty steep change, obviously, in what we have seen from kickoffs. There was a certain point in so far this year, um, in 2023, Baltimore has the, uh, have had Baltimore and Washington have had a hundred percent touchback percentage. So every single kick that they've made has gone out of the end zone or into the end zone and resulted in a touchback. And there are eight teams that are in the 90th percentile in terms of touchback percentage and the lowest touchback percentage for a team so far is 52%. That's Carolina. Um, we're missing out. I think the game is really missing out on that aspect of the game. It's turned kind of into, uh, in a lesser extent, I think, uh, than the um, turned into the PAT rule, um, which was changed recently as well. It was uh, the the PAT was originally held at the two yard line, essentially, uh, where you would be having um, two point conversions. Now they were holding, they were uh, allowing PATs to go, and, and the NFL basically looked at that and said it was an, as a, it was essentially a nothing play. Almost all of those PATs uh, that were kicked were going through the upright. So there was no reason to really do it, do it. So they changed it. So the PATs are now kicked from the 15 yard line, which is essentially a 25 yard uh, PAT attempt, which I think has revitalized that, uh, that PAT a little bit more. They're still going through at a pretty, you know, substantial rate, obviously, but there is a small inkling of it possibly becoming, you know, a block or even a miss or anything like that, which does change the form of the game and how the game is uh, kind of played out. You see more teams going for two uh, because it is a more uh, an easier decision to make to go for for two from the two yard line versus kicking a PAT from the 15 yard line. You see more teams making that decision, whereas before it was the same, you know, the risk factor what didn't equal, you know, it didn't equate. So going for two on the two yard line versus kicking a PAT for two. Uh, with one, you know, basically equaling a 99% chance of success versus the other not even anywhere near that, there was no point in going for two unless there was a scoring issue. Um, and now you see more teams just doing it because, I mean, there's still a little bit of a tactical issue, but now there's really a an actual, uh, an actual attempt at making a choice, you know? Um, and I think with the kickoff rule, and I don't, I don't think that the kickoffs in the NFL or the NCAA need to go back to where or, or use the same. Like I don't, I don't want them to push back to uh, the, the the kick to the thirty or anything like that and use the same rules. I think the entire idea of the kickoff needs to change. Um, I think kickoffs and it's becoming a nothing play, similar to the PAT, where almost all of them, nah, well, almost all of them is probably a stretch, but eight out of ten of them uh, for the best for the best kicking teams uh, on. Um, on those kick plays uh, are basically ending up as touchbacks. And I think that is a bad look just for, you know, just a, a bad look in general for the NFL, because it is turning kind of into that play that the PAT is kind of turned into uh, where you just assume at this point that it's going to be a touchback. And if it's not a touchback, it doesn't feel like a lot of those teams are developing any sort of special teams plays. And, you know, this is from the outside looking in. I'm not a special teams coordinator or anything like that, obviously. So, um, but it feels like there aren't a lot of reasons for them to come out uh, and run the ball back when, if especially now, because you can just fair catch the ball and get it at the 25, even if it's not in the end zone anymore. That's a new world that came up with this year. Um, and I think that's largely getting away from what they should want to be doing, right? Like they should want to be playing football. I mean, if the kickoff is just you know, your, your players can just, you know, fair catch it from the three yard line and they get it at the 25 regardless, then what's the point of even having the kickoff? You might as well just have it at the 25. The opposing team gets it. 
that's not my solution. I want kickoffs to become a thing. We wouldn't have great kickoff returners like Cordero Patterson, Devin Hester, or anything like that without the kickoff uh, in play. But I do think the entire idea of the play does need to change. I think we need to do it more of the XFL slash USFL route. The XFL is a little bit different uh, than the USFL. Uh, But the XFL version that they do, I think, is really cool where you basically have the kicker um, on one side of the field at the 30 or whatever it is for the XFL. Uh, I'm assuming it's the 30 and then the returner at their end zone or whatever. And it's just one returner at their end zone. And then you have the rest of the other 10 guys lined up across from each other, um, like 10 yards apart or five yards apart, I guess. So on the uh, returners, 25 yard or 35 yard line and then the. uh, the the kicking team is lined up on like the 45 yard line or something like that of the returner side. So it's 10 yards apart. And once the ball is received by the receiver, the, uh, the returner, then they can go towards each other and try to block and make an opening for the returner. I think that idea is really smart because it, in, it allows returners to have the ability to return with some sort of incentive. And, you know, it cuts down, it, it, it brings down injuries as well. You don't have to worry about the straight running start that you've gotten, that we've gotten from regular kickoff returns. It mitigates the problem that they've had with concussions and such and, uh, and stuff like that. And I think it's just better for the game where today, where it is now, it's just an, it's really a nothing play at this point, especially with the fair catch rule. Um, and it's disappointing because the kickoff, the kickoff was one of the funnest, parts of the entire game. Like at this point, you know, if there's three seconds left in the game and a team just kicked a field goal to go up, you know, by three or whatever, we're now seeing teams instead of trying to take the kickoff back with three seconds left, they'd rather just fair catch and get their offense back on the field at the 25, which they think gives them a better chance. And analytically, it probably does give them a better chance, but there's not even, they're not even giving the special teams players an option to try to go out there and make the play. Um, There are some, instances where it changes you know we just saw i think it was last weekend where we saw a fullback for the texans on a squib kick take a kickoff back for a touchdown and that was an exciting play that was one of the most exciting plays of the entire weekend but we are actively trying to get away from kickoffs in general or the nfl is and that's disappointing because it really can be one of the funnest plays of the entire you know of the entire weekend of the uh, the entire season for some player or for some teams um and to see it going away like this where it's just becoming you know, you might as well just fair catch and take it at the 25. There's no point in trying to return it. It's disappointing. It makes me sad. I want to see more kickoffs. And I think a revitalization of the entire kickoff uh, rule and the way that we do it needs to be taken a look at on both the NCAA and the NFL's part because we're seeing the USFL do it, trying to bring back kickoffs, as well as the XFL as they're trying to do it as well, trying to bring back kickoffs and make them more important plays throughout the rest of the season. Um, and I think they need to take lessons from both of those areas and make their own sort of new kickoff role that allows incentivizes more teams to run kicks back. Um, I don't want to, you know, look at kickoffs anymore and just be like, that's going to go out of the back of the end. I mean, it's it's literally like next time we're watching a Saturday and Sunday, next time you're watching a football game, count how many kickoffs versus uh, how many kickoffs are returned versus how many just end up as touchbacks. I bet it's 95 to 99% of them are just taken as a, as touchbacks and then they just put the ball to 25. I, I bet it's 95% of them because, you know, at this point, nobody looks at kickoffs as an advan- advantageous play anymore. It's either you lose yards or you like, you don't you lose yards in terms of where you could be with the touchback or it's a turnover worthy play or something like that. The risk factor feels like is too high for uh, allowing these teams to return 
kicks. And I'm glad that the punt return is still, I mean, it's still, there's, it's very fair catch heavy and there's not a lot that you can really do to change that anyways. Um, but that is more, a lot more tactical in my opinion the, you know, the punter has a say in where they want to put the ball and where it allows their defense to make a play um, and kick off. It's, it just feels like, you know, the kicker's going to go up there and, and do their best to just kick it as hard as they can out of the back of the end zone. So their defense can just come on and they just set it up at the 25. It's a little bit different for punt returns because the punter kind of has more of a say on it. Well, and you know, depending on where they are, where they're at on the field and, you know, kicking it out of bounds isn't a penalty like it is on, um, on kickoffs. So I just think we need a revitalization of the entire kickoff, um, and how it works in football, because it really is becoming more and more, especially with how good kickers have become and how strong uh, kickers legs have become, um, being able to basically boot the ball out of the end zone, no matter which team you're looking at, uh, at a substantial rate. Um, it's really killing the entire, uh, fun and the, the fun of kickoff returns. I mean, they're becoming few and far between, which, you know, there is some fun in that. I mean, seeing a rare thing like that happen nowadays is super cool. Um, but, it's almost like some teams are just willing to take the touchback regardless of what happens, you know, just fair catch no matter what. And we'll take the 25, put our offense back out on the field. And, you know, there's a tack, there's a tactical reason for that as well, but we're losing part of the game because of that. And uh, I wish the kickoffs were just back. I want them to be changed and I want to see more teams take, uh, take the football out of, uh, out of a return and try to make a play out of something. I think it's just better for football in general. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. College football. Let's move on to some college football on Saturday. Uh, this past Saturday, I guess I should say. Um, it wasn't a hugely eventful day on Saturday, to be honest with you. I feel like we've been missing the massive upsets that I'm kind of used to seeing in college football. I don't really think we've had one that's been the headline uh, of the season, per se, or of the season up to this point, per se. It's basically been Colorado beating TCU. Um, and I think Colorado State, if they were to beat Colorado, probably would have been on that list. But off the top of my head, we really haven't had a massive upset, um, you know, a big time, big time, you know, unranked, overranked upset that really became the commanding uh, or the talk of the college football world so far this year. Um, we had an upset this week, technically, I guess technically an upset 
Uh, Kentucky beat Florida, 22nd ranked Florida, but that one, to me, wasn't really that much of an upset. I thought Kentucky was a better team just in general than Florida. I think Florida's still a little bit, I mean, they're not going to be rated anymore, but they were definitely overrated up to that point. Um, We had uh, Duke beating Clemson back in week one, but that looks, you know, as the season has gone on, less and less like an upset um, just because Clemson doesn't look like they're going to be uh, a huge juggernaut as much as they have been. And Duke was, I, I think this is the best version of Duke that they've had in a while in terms of their football program, even though they just did, they did just lose their quarterback um, to injury in this last game against Notre Dame in which they lost. But um, yeah, it just feels like we're missing out on some big upsets, you know, like here's another, I mean, Alabama, they lost to Texas. I don't know how much of a huge upset that was either, uh, but Alabama, like they've looked shaky, shaky, quote unquote, um, as much as shaky can be to to Alabama, but they should be like given what we saw against Texas, that was a flat offense. They really still it feels like haven't found a lot of their ground, uh, you know, a lot of their uh, ability through the air, especially on offense. And there should be some of these SEC team SEC teams will like able to beat these beat Alabama. But guess what? They just keep on rolling. They won last week, forty to seventeen. They're four and one, and I'm not kidding you. I'm it's gonna make me upset, but I'm not kidding you. They have the perfect opportunity to just roll the rest of the way, be a one-loss team that makes it to the uh, the SEC championship, and then they possibly win the SEC championship, and they're right back in the college football playoff. We were just talking not too long ago when they beat USF 17-13. to uh, Everybody was worried about Alabama. Even I, I was like, they could lose a lot of these games this year. Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, Texas A&M coming up. That's a game that is going to be very challenging for them. Um, but they could also, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they win out on those games either. And then they're right back in the SEC championship. And guess what? They're 11 and one. Who's going to leave out? I, even if they lose that game, if they're 10 and two going into, um, going into the college football playoff weekend and Georgia is maybe 11 and one or something like that. And just won the SEC championship. I'm not, I am not, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see that Alabama is just coughed into the college football playoff because it's Alabama and they've earned that right at this point where they're just always in the conversation. They're still 11th ranked in the country after a loss to Texas. That was three weeks ago. Um, but then they beat Ole Miss. They beat Mississippi state. Like I said, they got to travel to Texas A&M. That's going to be a hard game for them. Tennessee. That's a game they should win. That's going to be a revenge game for them. And Tennessee doesn't look anywhere near as good as they were uh, a season ago, especially on offense. And you know, their, their defense really hasn't been all that good just period the last few years. Uh, LSU is going to be a tough game. Kentucky is going to be a tough game. Kentucky, by the way, Kentucky, sneaky good team. Upset alert for Georgia, by the way. They're playing Kentucky this weekend. That could be a very interesting game. That's a tough game for Georgia or for Kentucky. They're on the road in Georgia uh, at Athens. But the way Georgia's been playing, Georgia's been a little sleepy. They've been a little uh, lackadaisical, if you will, so far this year, kind of just mulling their way through uh, a couple games this season, and Kentucky could sneak up on them. I would not be so, I would not be stunned to see Kentucky win that game over Georgia, and then Kentucky's in the driver's seat for the SEC East, um, and we could see a legitimate situation where Kentucky goes on um, if they end up beating Georgia, goes on uh, and uh, you know goes and wins a game or two um, in the SEC East, and they're still in the driver's seat for the SEC East because the SEC East just in general is not very good outside of Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri has been pretty good this year as well. But, uh, outside of those three, it's been a pretty, uh, it's pretty dry in the SEC East, uh, and just the SEC in general, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, A&M's pretty good. LSU's pretty good, but Ole Miss, I have not been other. I mean, they're four and one, but their loss to Alabama was 
disappointing. I thought this was definitely going to be the year that Lane Kiffin gets over the hump. I thought this was it. And now Alabama owes the tiebreaker over Ole Miss anyway. So, um, yeah. And then the bottom half of those, those divisions are just not very good in general either. So, um, yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky on the road in Georgia. That's a very difficult place to play, obviously, but Mark Shoops has got that team playing very well. Like I said, that's a team that will just grind you down, put you in a chokehold, make them play, make you play in the mud. Like they love to play in, just get you all dirty. That's what they love to do. And then just play defense for, you know, the last quarter or three and a half quarters. Once they get out of, out to a 21 to nothing lead. And then they just win, you know, by, by, by 15, just by grinding it out. That's what, that's a Kentucky, that's a Kentucky staple and a Mark Stoops staple. Um, they love to play that way. And I could see that becoming a problem for Georgia because this is not, you know, this isn't last year's Georgia team. This isn't two years ago, Georgia's team. Um, they they are a little bit less than stellar on both sides of the football. I think just in terms of, um, I, I still think they have a lot of the athletic ability and such, but they're not as well-rounded, I would say, on both sides of the football so far this year. They don't have a guy like Seth's embedded and a quarterback who is somebody that they can just lean on based on, um, you know, a big uh, a senior uh, being a being a senior and the the age that Stetson Bennett had at that position. They don't really have that anymore. Uh, they have a couple of really good tight ends, obviously, but um, they're missing some of that explosive ability on the outside and the defense just, you know, it feels like they have yet to wake up yet. And I think Kentucky... Look out for Kentucky. That's all I'll say. All I'll say is look out for Kentucky because they could be sneaky in this game against Georgia. This could be, this could be an upset of the week type of uh, type of game for Kentucky. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I just think, um, I don't even know where I was going with that. To be honest with you, I can't remember Alabama making the sec championship. Wouldn't be a surprise to me. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be stunned by that at all at this point. They're four and one. Uh, they do have a couple of tough games later in the schedule and Texas A&M this, uh, this upcoming week, which is also a very a, a very tough game, especially at Texas A&M. That's not an easy place to play either. Um, but yeah, anyways, big, where was I going with this? Uh, big upsets. Haven't really had that many yet. Let's just get into the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. How about that? How about that? I think I nailed it, by the way. I think I uh, I nailed the pick last week. I think I was correct in saying Michigan State versus Iowa. That game was a poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. I think I was right on that. I think I nailed it. If anybody wants to counter, absolutely. I'll listen to all poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week contenders. I got no issue with that, Um, but I do think I made the right pick with Iowa, uh, Michigan State versus Iowa. I think that was the right pick. That game ended up being poo-poo garbage, no good. Both offenses were not very good. They were terrible. Keaton McNamara for Iowa got hurt. Quarterback for uh, Iowa got hurt in this game. Um, And just in general, both offenses were terrible. I mean, they were bad. This was a bad game, not fun to watch. Uh, I believe they had a total of explosive plays of three explosive plays, which is when your EPA is above per play or one, one play is above 1.8 or 2.4. If you're passing one point 1.8, if you're rushing. Um, so according to that, they only had, <laughs> they only had three total explosive plays. Uh, it was a bad day without their EPA on offense. Their total, their, e- their offensive EPA for both teams, Michigan state had a tw- negative 25.89 offensive EPA. And Iowa had a negative 26.11 EPA. They both averaged about 6.6, or Michigan State averaged about 6.67 plays per drive. Iowa averaged about a 5.26 plays per drive. Uh, Michigan State had 28.83 yards per drive and 24.98 yards per drive for Iowa. Iowa ended up winning this game, even though it doesn't sound like they should have. They ended up winning this game. Uh, Part of that was the fact that Michigan State had five turnovers. You heard that right. Five turnovers. They had three interceptions, two fumbles lost, uh, seven turnovers in total for both teams. Iowa had two turnovers of their own. It was a bad game. 
Gross, best thing out there was the special teams, which Iowa prides themselves on. They love to be a good special teams uh, special teams team. They had a 5.35 special teams EPA, which is better than their offense. That's really funny. Uh, this was a bad game. I think this was my pick, um, and I was right. I think I was right on that. I think I was correct on this being the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. And it ended up being somewhat of a close game. It was 26 to 16 was the final score. Uh, but it was just like kind of, it was, a, it was a gross game. You know, it was like, ugh. It was more like, I don't really care who wins this. I just kind of want it to be over, which is probably should be the motto for poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. Um, but that was the pick. And I think I nailed it. I think I was right. I had a couple other selections in here. I think I had one other that I would have taken. Uh, I would have said, okay, this is a good pick. And that was uh, Louisville versus NC State. Also kind of a poo-poo garbage, no good game. Um, that was a weekday game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a Friday primetime game is when this one was. Uh, and it was poo-poo garbage. It was no good. The final score was 13 to 10, which whenever I see that, the ringer starts going off. You know, I'm like, oh, oh, poo-poo garbage alert, poo-poo garbage alert. They did have some more explosive plays, more total explosive plays. They both had six combined, which, you know, that's not saying a whole lot, but they did have more explosive plays. They both hovered around 25 yards per drive. And about six yard or six plays per drive as well. They both totaled a combine of six turnovers. It was just another poo-poo garbage game. Uh, so I would have listened to this one as well. This this would have been up there as well for me for poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. But I think I gotta go with my pick from last week. I think I gotta go Michigan State versus Iowa. Just not a good game. I mean, honestly, you can pencil in uh, well, more than pencil in. You could pen in, I think, Iowa to be on the Top tier list of poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week, just from here on out, especially with Cade McNamara being out for the rest of the season. Who knows what that offense is going to look like? They're probably going to be terrible. Uh, not probably, almost certainly going to be terrible uh, against whoever they're playing against. And you can kind of pin them in to, I'm going to try to avoid it as much as possible because it's kind of expected at this point of Iowa. So I'm going to avoid them being the pick for the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week from here on out. Um, but if they're playing, you know, if it's Iowa versus off the top of my Iowa Nebraska God forbid whenever that game happens like that game might as well just everybody get down poo poo garbage incoming I just looked and that game is happening the day before or the week when's Thanksgiving the 26th right I, I dude Thanksgiving I don't know what's happening it's Black Friday it's a Black Friday game wow that's awesome it's a Black Friday game the Black Friday game is <laughs> Nebraska versus Iowa uh, is the Black Friday game for college football. And that is, I'm curious to see the over-under on that game because it's going to be terrible. They play Northwestern too, and that game is going to be garbage as well. So it's Minnesota. Man, here's the thing. All of these, basically the rest of these games that Iowa has to play outside of a couple of them, like Wisconsin might not be a terrible game just offensively. Um, and Rutgers maybe might not be a terrible game. Illinois might not be a terrible game. Uh, but Nebraska, Northwestern, Minnesota, those are like almost locks for poo poo garbage no good game of the week like that's bad those are all bad team I, okay bad teams is for bad offenses i will say that they're bad offenses here's the thing i i, I bash on the hawkeyes like they're terribly uh, terrible offensively just god awful you guys heard everything i was talking about last week but guess what they're four and one like that's just what they do and i hate it i hate every second of it because a team that i had like a team like this that everybody has to watch should not be four and one after what I'm seeing them put on the field on like night in night out, especially offensively. Like it's Cade McNamara had 505 yards, 505 total yards through four games with this team. That's I mean, it's just bad. There, Caleb Williams nearly threw for that last week against Colorado, nearly threw for 505 yards against Colorado. So 
it's like clockwork though. They're four and one. And a lot of these games they should win. Like Purdue, they should win that game. At Wisconsin, maybe. Uh Minnesota, they should win that game. Northwestern, they should win that game. They should beat Nebraska. Rutgers, Illinois is a question mark, a threat, you know. A, a toss up. And, you know, at the end of the season, we could see them be nine and three. Like, I wouldn't be stunned to see them 10 and two because this, because this, this, uh, the schedule is so bad. Um, and I'll just, I'll still be bashing them because they're impossible to watch. Um, but yeah, anyways, that was the poo poo garbage, no good game of the week. Iowa versus Michigan State. I do want to, let me say something really quick. I don't want to always be bashing on Iowa. It's just, Compared to everything else that we get during college football, like with all the really good offenses that we get to see in college football um, and the good offenses that are kind of surrounding Iowa and the Big Ten, there's some, you know, in terms of the upper echelon of Big Ten teams, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, both are less than stellar this year. Michigan's better than Ohio State in terms of offensively this year, but um, Ohio State's a little bit um, not as good as they were last year because, you know, they're missing C.J. Stroud. Marvin Harrison looks like he's a little bit banged up. Um, and to see that that's next to them and then what Iowa's doing to win football games, it's just like such a, a juxtaposition. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I don't want to hate on Iowa. I don't mean to, but the, it's just, you know, it's hard not to, you know, it's hard not to. Um, for the actual good game of last week, we had a couple, we had a couple really good options. We had some good games this week. Appalachian State versus UL Monroe. That was a good game back and forth all the way through. Appalachian State, I think, won on a field goal, game winning field goal, uh, with a couple minutes left in the game. Baylor versus UCF. This game wasn't good until like the th- like halfway through the third quarter. Baylor was down 35 to 7, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 35 to 7 with four minutes and 23 seconds left in the third quarter. They were down 35 to 7. They come all the way back, storm all the way back with uh, basically half a quarter and a half to go, and they win 36 to 35. They scored, uh, what is it, three touchdowns and a field goal in the fourth quarter alone. They storm all the way back to to win the football game 36 to 35. That game was a lot of fun uh, for basically the last quarter and a half. UCF was dominating all the way through the, the third and a half quarter of that game. Um, so I won't pick that as the game of the week just because it wasn't all fully very good. It was basically the last quarter and a half, but it was a really cool comeback. I mean, Baylor, UCF, a woofer, a big old woofer there. Uh, and then Baylor, uh, that takes some, that takes some gall to come back and win that game. Uh, Virginia versus Boston college was a pretty good game. Another game that included a, a big comeback, uh, you know, the Virginia was up 21 to seven going into halftime. Virginia scored a, a, a touchdown at the buzzer at the half, um, going into the halftime to go up 21 to seven. And then uh, Boston college scores, basically all of the second half points. They come back all the way and they win 27 to 24 over Virginia. That was a pretty good game. Um, uh, but my pick, my pick of the week for, um, the actual good game. The actual good game of this week was LSU versus Ole Miss. That was a very entertaining game. Defense was uh, a little stagnant, you know, not kind, basically nowhere to be found. But it was it was shot after shot for both teams. They were they were trading blows, if you will. That's the common phrase. It was uh, Ole Miss that ended up winning. It was fifty five to forty nine. But both teams, Jackson Dart for Ole Miss, he had three hundred eighty nine yards for four touchdowns. Both teams had two, uh, both teams had quarterbacks with four touchdowns. Jaden Daniels had 414 yards for four touchdowns. Both teams had uh, one 100-plus yard runner. Uh, Logan Diggs for LSU, 19 carries, 101 yards, two touchdowns. Ole Miss, Quishon Judkins, I think is how you said it, 33 uh, 33 carries, 177 yards, one touchdown. Both teams had two. Both teams had two 100-plus yard receivers. Uh, Brian Thomas Jr. for LSU, he had three touchdowns, eight, eight receptions, 124 yards, and three touchdowns. 
And then Ole Miss had Trey Harris, who had eight receptions, 153 yards. Jordan Watkins, who had five receptions, 103 yards. And uh, the other guy for LSU, Malik Neighbors, had eight receptions uh, for 102 yards as well. Just uh, it was crazy. Like Ole Miss was able to go up nine or excuse me, LSU was able to go up nine with eight and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're kind of like, all right, this might be it. This might be the one It was a 34 yard touchdown pass from Jaden Daniels, 49 to 40 at that point. And it was like, all right, this could be it. This could be the game. Uh, and it wasn't Jackson Dart went on and scored in like three minutes, three minutes, 28 seconds. And then they got the ball back and they kicked a field goal with 39 seconds left to play to win 40, uh, 55 to 49. It was back and forth the entire game. It was a blast. Um, it was fun. It was a fun game. I think they had over both teams had over, uh, 600 yards apiece. Ole Miss had 706 yards total offense. So 1300 plus yards of total offense in that game. Uh, and just one turnover. It was, I think you guys can kind of get the type of football <laughs> that I enjoy watching. Um, it's just this, uh, like I do like a little bit more defensive struggle. Um, you know, other than just, you know, go down the field, score, go down the field, go down. like that's not the most entertaining game for me. But I think this one was a blast. I think this was a fantastic game by both teams and Ole Miss able to win it in, you know, with mere seconds left to go on the clock. So that was a fun game, a classic, you know, a classic SEC game that just, you know, nobody is really thinking about all that much. If that makes sense, you're not really thinking about it because you're thinking about some of the heavy, the other heavier hitters in uh, in the SEC at the top of the division and such. But then, you know, they just put on an absolute show. And you get one of the uh, uh, one of the better games of the season that will end up being one of the better games of the season. Another one I think of when I think of that sort of game was that Texas A&M versus LSU game a few years ago that went to like seven overtimes or something ridiculous like uh, ridiculous like that. It was like 74 to 72 um, where, you know, it was neither team was necessarily vying for uh, a playoff spot or anything like that. They were both I think one of them was ranked or both of them were unranked or something like that. Uh, and it just produced the best game of the entire season, essentially. Um so, yeah, that, that was the best game of the week, in my opinion. Uh, the funnest game to watch, in my opinion. Um, it's time for predictions now. Not time for predictions for Poo Poo Garbage, no good game of the week. As well as the actual good game of the week. Now, I'm a little bit biased. I'm going to start with the actual good game of the week because it's going to be, it's the pick for me. Uh, I'm not going to be swayed on it. I am definitely biased. I'm not going to hide my biases whatsoever. I'm an Oklahoma fan. So this first weekend in October is always a big weekend for me. Uh, every single year, 10 a.m., the wonderful college football world just descends on a garbage, just terrible, ugly, god-awful little stadium in Dallas, Texas called Cotton Bowl Stadium. Uh, and it is for, it is for the Red River rivalry. Um, last year, Oklahoma just got just, by the way, I'm an Oklahoma fan, if you could not tell, uh, just smothered, put down, just absolutely put down like a sick dog, just destroyed. It was 49 to nothing. It was a shutout. It was disgusting. I barely watched any of it because I knew it was going to be a blowout. We're missing our quarterback, uh, our starting quarterback. It was disgusting. You know, we just weren't a good team that year. Um, but now, Better team. We look good defensively. Look good. Pretty good offensively. Run game could use a little work. Texas. Everybody knows how Texas looks. They look very good. They beat Alabama. Uh, it looked, you know, had troubles at times waking up. It feels like really snapping into gear. Um, but for the most part, they've been fantastic, especially defensively. I mean, I think they're a better defensive team than they are an offensive team, honestly. Um, but that's going to be my actual good game of the week. You know, people descend on the cotton bowl in Dallas, Texas uh, to have all the fried food that they could ever desire that they didn't know that they wanted uh, like fried beer, uh, fried 
pickles or whatever. I'm trying to think fried Oreos, fried jello, you know, everything that you could possibly imagine for Texas as like fried food is what they have down there at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, at the Texas State Fair is going on at the same time. It's a calamity, a calamity of State Fair fried foods and football, uh, football. Um, and it's going to be a good game this year. The, the first time they've met together um, as undefeated teams since 2009, if I remember correctly, it's 2009 or 2011. One of the two, I can't remember. I think it was 2009. Um, so a, 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 a Red River rivalry that actually has a lot of steaks attached to it um, and not fried steaks, even though you could probably get that down there. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for this game. I think Oklahoma will put up a better better showing that they have to, in my opinion, or people are going to lose some jobs. Um, so that that's going to be my pick of the week. Not very difficult for me to pick on. Uh, never very difficult for me to pick any other game. This is the biggest game of my entire season. Uh, if we lose the Texas game, then, you know, the rest of the season is kind of a wash. Don't really care anymore. It's like, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of saying that facetiously because if you go on to win a national championship, then of course it was all success. Um, but you know, going to the big 12 championship, winning the big 12 championship, it's great. But if you lost to Texas that year, it's like, it's great, but we could have beaten, we should have beat Texas, you know? And then there was a, uh, a game, a season a couple years ago where we lost to Texas in the red river rivalry, but then we played them in the big 12 championship and won the big 12 championship against them. And that, you know, that equaled out. Um, so yeah, th this is the biggest game every single year for my team. Um, I love watching this game. It's at 10 a.m. every single year, which I also love. Uh, I think it's one of the cool traditions that they have where every single year it's a 1 p.m. kickoff. Uh, not 1 p.m., excuse me, 12 p.m. kickoff Eastern time, 11 a.m. kickoff in uh, beautiful Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's never a night game. Always, always, always an 11 a.m. game. And the State Fair is going on right outside. Uh, they have, you know, all the fried food that you could possibly desire. And then you can go watch some some football, some good football, too. And it's always split right down the middle. Texas on one side, Oklahoma on the other side. It's one of the great rivalries in the entire sport. Um, and I love it. I love it until we, unless we lose, then I hate it. I'm like, well, you know what? This game sucks. Why do we even play this game? Um, but yeah, that's my picture of the actual good game of the week. The hard one this week is the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. I'm not sure who I'm going to pick this week. I've been looking through some of the games like Rutger or excuse me, not Rutgers. Uh, Nebraska is taking on Illinois. That one's kind of, Kind of delectable in a gross way. Uh, kind of makes me want to throw up a little bit. But, you know, I don't know if I want to pick it because I mean, it feels like I've been picking on the big the big 10 a little bit too much this season. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to go outside the wheelhouse a little bit more. Um, but there are a couple other games that I'm looking at that could very much be poo poo garbage. One of them being uh, another one being I and I I'm not trying to. I'm contradicting myself here, but I just remembered I saw this one. Uh, Purdue versus Iowa. We were just talking about that game. That game is probably going to be poo-poo garbage, but I'm going to stray away a little bit from Iowa. I'm going to stray away a little bit from Iowa. Um, that game is definitely going to be poo-poo garbage. It's going to be terrible, but let's go away from Iowa. You know, let's go, let's go away from Iowa for this week um, and just the Big Ten in general. Let's move away from those two teams. Um, this week, I think I'm going to pick... An ESPN Plus game. Like, this game won't be nationally broadcast anywhere um, other than on ESPN Plus. And I think it's got a good chance to be poo-poo garbage. I'm thinking a low-scoring affair um, with offense that doesn't seem like they can really do anything. And that is and that is Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois University versus Akron. Uh, both these teams are not very good. They're both 1-4 and four on the season so far. Offensively, they're 
bottom rung, uh, just in general, they're bottom rung. Uh, Akron's got a terrible passing attack in terms of EPA. Uh, total EPA, EPA per play, and EPA per game. Just a god-awful passing attack. One of the worst in the entire country. Or Akron's rushing attack is a little bit better. A little bit better. Uh, but Northern Illinois is not good at either, really. Um, their rushing attack and their uh, passing attack is bottom uh, bottom rungs on the totem pole in terms of uh, EPA, EPA per play, success rate. You know, the whole the whole shebang. But both teams are pretty solid defensively. They are both pretty good defensively. It could be a matchup thing, but... In general, looking at their EPA and such, they are pretty decent uh, on defense. Outside of NIU struggles against the run a little bit, um, they do get gashed on the ground a little bit. Uh, but their passing defense is very good. Uh, and if they can get out into uh, or uh, if they're playing from behind, they're probably a little bit better at playing from behind than they are uh, playing. Uh, or excuse me. Wait, I'm mixing this up. I'm sorry. If they're playing ahead if they're playing ahead they're better at playing ahead than they are playing from behind they don't have to worry about trying to stop the run on defense uh if they're playing ahead um because you know you're going to force akron to pass the football a lot more and akron is not a good passing football team whatsoever and niu is not a good running team rushing defensive team whatsoever whereas akron is a good rushing uh offensive team uh so niu is going to want to go out in front get out in front early and then hold that lead avoid trying to stop the run throughout the entire game and then the way you do that is uh, don't get behind. If you get behind, then you're going to have to stop the run the entire game, and that is how you're going to lose, especially if you're NIU, because your rushing defense is uh, terrible, just terrible. Not that Akron's rushing offense is any good. Um, they're okay, but you know NIU is a bad rushing defense. So that's my poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. Straying away from the, 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 the big ones, the ones that we always see, trying to go out a little bit more, uh, into the group of five, if you will. And that's where I found Northern Illinois versus Akron. It's going to be smelly. It's going to be stinky. It's going to be on ESPN plus and the kickoffs at one So it's perfect mid afternoon, uh, mid afternoon nap time. Just throw that on in the background and you will more than likely just fall right asleep. That's the perfect time for that game. Uh, so yeah, that's my poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. NIU versus Akron alongside my actual good game of the week, Texas versus Oklahoma, the red river rivalry. We're going to talk some NFL next. Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, and get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307-763-1249 or Kathleen at 307 307- 461-7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Okay, NFL time. I want to start this 
portion of the show by giving a nod, a, I don't want to give a round of applause because I gave that last week and I don't want to be too redundant. Um, but a nod, a tip of the old cap, if you will, to Zach Wilson. Um, he had probably the worst week that anybody could possibly imagine in terms of criticism um, this past week. From uh, everybody in every portion of the uh, NFL world that you could possibly imagine, analysts, former NFL players, you name it, he was being criticized. Um, yours truly, I was a criticism. I, I was a criticist as well. Is that even a word? I'm going to say yes, a critic. I guess a critic is the right word. Um, but, you know, he doesn't listen to this show. So, you know, it's like a loud critic. You know, it's not a loud critic. It's like the bug that is screaming at you, you know. Um, and then he just steps on me. And that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I work better in the shadows anyways. Um, but... He came out on Sunday, played his best career game, I think, trying to remember. I think I think it's safe to say that he had uh, probably the best game of his career. It was a loss. Um, he did fumble the football away that probably ended up costing them the game. But for the most part, throughout the entire game, he played very well. Uh, and this is a here's a stat for you. One of the you know, most insane stats I think I've ever read uh, on this show. Per Optistats on Twitter, uh, Wilson, Zach Wilson, is the only opposing QB to have more completions, passing yards, TD passes, and fewer interceptions than Patrick Mahomes in any of the 127 games Mahomes has started in college or the NFL. So that's head-to-head. Wilson, I'm going to read it one more time. Wilson is the only opposing QB to have more completions in a game, passing yards, TD passes, and fewer interceptions than Patrick Mahomes in any of the 127 games Mahomes has started in college or the NFL. That's wild. That is absolutely insane. Of all the quarterbacks that would do it against Mahomes, and Mahomes, he's looked a little funky. I'm wondering if he's got maybe an injury or something going on uh, because some of those throws that he was making last night were head-scratching. I, I He looked off. Um, some of them were a little wobbly, and I was like, whoa, uh, that doesn't look right. I was wondering what was going on a little bit, and he pulled it together a lot more you know, in the final couple minutes of the game as he does. Um, but Wilson, of all the quarterbacks that Mahomes has faced, that's the game where um, Mahomes has looked like, I won't say the lesser quarterback, because I still think down the line, uh, Mahomes ended up playing better than Wilson getting the win in the end anyways. Um, and I think that Wilson of all the people to beat him, to beat it for anybody to beat Mahomes in those stats throughout those 127 games, both college and NFL, um, for it to be Zach Wilson is pretty astonishing. Um, he wasn't amazing by any means, Zach Wilson. He wasn't amazing by any means, uh, by any means. He still wasn't pushing the ball necessarily all that down, all downfield, all that match, uh, more so than we have been seeing, but he wasn't pushing the ball downfield as much as you'd like to see. He finished with a 7.5, uh, average depth target, which you'd like to see go up a little bit more, especially if you're a Jets fan. Uh, it was higher than Mahomes, um, but he did finish with a lower total EPA and EPA per play. Uh, but it did, he did have a higher uh, completion, per, a completion, completion percentage over expected. Sorry, CPOE. That's how you, that's CPO. CPO is what everybody recommend, uh, says about that. Um, everybody was coming after Zach Wilson last week. Um, and it was, it was tough. You know, you always kind of, I always kind of feel bad for people in this, especially in that city, man, that city is good luck trying to play quarterback in that God in that, in that city, man, that, that the media is, if you have one bad game, I mean, and Wilson has more than one bad game. There's plenty of, <laughs> plenty of reasons to want, uh, for Jets fans to want to move on from Zach Wilson. I'm not saying that they're in the wrong or anything like that, but for him to kind of step through it and play the best game of his career against the chiefs, the defending super bowl champs was uh, really cool to see. It was good for him 
to it was good to see him. It looked like he was finally having fun on the football field, which it didn't feel like we were seeing him have in a very long time, uh, probably since his BYU days. Um, one of the people and my some of the listeners are some listeners to the show are going to be happy that I'm bringing this up or not happy. It depends on who's listening to this show. Uh, one of the people that were coming after Zach Wilson was my all time favorite overrated person of all time. That was redundant. Joe Namath. Joe Namath. Joe Namath came after Zach Wilson. Um, and here's my here's a little stat for you. Here's a little stat of the day for you. Joe Namath was not happy with Zach Wilson. He said he's seen enough. Um, he shouldn't be a quarterback in the NFL. You know, he was coming after him. He was saying all this stuff. Um, here's some interesting info for you. Zach Wilson versus Joe Namath through the first 26 games of their career. Zach Wilson has only played 26 games in his career, obviously. Uh, and just dating back to Joe Namath's first 26. Uh, Zach Wilson has a better completion percentage, a passer rating, a better passer rating, and has the same adjusted yards per attempt as Namath. Namath did have more touchdowns and interceptions and yards as well as higher average net yards per pass attempt. But, I mean, how about that? Huh? Joe Namath basically on the same path as Zach Wilson at that point in his career, uh, and Zach Wilson has a better completion percentage, a better passer rating, and the same adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, and I just think it's funny because Joe Namath, the guy got into that Hall of Fame. It's the greatest fleece job of all time in terms of not money related. The greatest fleece job of all time is, is Joe Namath getting into the Hall of Fame. He got in there by making a guarantee and then winning that guarantee by winning that Super Bowl over the Colts. Was that right? Is it the Colts? Who was? Who did he beat in the Super Bowl? I don't remember. Yes, the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts at the time. Um, and I just think it's com. It's comedically just hilarious to see that New York radio just in general, New York radio stations, the jets radio stations are turning to Joe Namath because this is really, I mean, that's the extent of who they have at that quarterback position for them to go and talk to as somebody who one has won a super bowl and two um, stuck around long enough to call themselves a jet for life. You know uh, they don't really have that person. And for that to be, Joe Namath is really funny for the New York Jets because Joe Namath, I mean, he's fine, I guess. He, uh, he'll he never, I mean, you compare him to today, no shot. He would be in Zach Wilson's position. He would not be in the position that uh, he thinks he would be in, like not even close. Um, so it's just, it's always funny to hear from Joe Namath because I'm like, dog, you were kind of on the same career trajectory as Joe, as uh, as uh, Zach Wilson was at this point. Like, let's be honest here. Um, so yeah. Anyways, I, I just think that entire like the fact that the Jets, Jets fans, and New York radio because they have nobody else to turn to, especially the Jets. Um, when it comes to this conversation in relating from a quarterback to another quarterback, that's who they have to turn to because they have nobody else <laughs> in the history of that franchise outside of Aaron Rodgers who was there for four plays. They have nobody else they can turn to, to relate to being a Jets quarterback uh, who wants to be a Jets quarterback for life and who played well as a Jets quarterback in a long-term period in their career. The lone person that they have is Joe Namath. And well, is probably a strong word. It's probably a strong word for Joe Namath. I'll be honest with you. It's not great. It's not good. Well, is fine. He was probably fine. Uh, and that's who they got to turn to as Jets fans uh, to, to be that guy, to shine some light. Uh, as a former jet to another jet uh, is Joe Namath. So it's just, it's comedically hilarious. Um, but yeah, I was, I was cheering for Zach Wilson. It was great to see. It made me, it made me smile. Cause I was like, there's nobody that took more guffaw on planet earth than Zach Wilson. Not to mention everybody uh, on planet earth was probably tuned into that game just because Taylor Swift was there again, which by the way, 
It's getting a little bit old, I'll be honest with you, but I understand what the NFL is doing. Like, they got to get the Swifties in because that's a huge, a massive contingent of people uh, that are Swifties that aren't necessarily football fans. And if they get the Swifties into being football fans, the NFL might take over the rest of planet Earth. Like, they just might, they might do a uh, military-style coup d'etat, but it's, you know, it's football. Like, that's all it is. They can just command whenever they want to play on football or whenever they want to play football, and then the networks will just be like, yeah, okay. No problem. Tuesday at Tuesday at 4 p.m. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll all watch it. And it's, that's especially what would happen if the Swifties take over. If the Swifties come in to the NFL and then they find even if even if like 40 percent of the Swifties are like, yeah, this NFL thing, even if Taylor Swift ends up breaking with Taylor, uh, with Travis Kelsey, 40 percent of the Swifties stick around. They might just be like, uh, yeah, yeah, we like this. That's a huge amount of people, a massive amount of Swifty fans that are going to be watching um the NFL, uh, just because Taylor Swift happened to be dating Taylor, uh, Travis Kelsey and that showed up in a box. Like this is a huge win for the NFL. Like they could not, they're just, I guarantee you, I guarantee you the NFL is just giving box seats to Taylor Swift. Like, Hey, take these box seats, come to the next chiefs game, please. And it'll rank higher in terms of TV ratings than any other game that we see this week, just because the Swifties are now turning it, tuning in as well. It's a mass. It's a great media play by the NFL. They see Taylor Swift. They're like, oh, we can cook with this dog. We can cook with this. And they're just going to give away tickets to all her friends and everybody. is just going to become a celebrity thing, like uh, kind of like courtside seats for the NBA were for a time. Uh, and Colorado football at this point is kind of turning into this as well, where just people show up to those games. That's what Swift Taylor Swift is going to do for the NFL. She's just going to have her and her buddies show up to these games and everybody's going to tune in. Not, I mean, everybody's going to, the football fans are going to tune in for the, uh, the football and the Swifties are just going to tune in for the Swifties. Like that's all that matters. All Taylor Swift is there. I'm tuning in. I'm tuning in for Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Like it's a, it's a genius play. Like they could not have had something like that better fallen into their lap. If they're the NFL, they are jumping for joy in the conference rooms. They're high-fiving. They're gladly putting out those box seat tickets for Taylor Swift. They're like, hey, come to all, come to every Chiefs game. We'd love to have you. We'll give you the box seat. You don't even have to pay for it. We'll give you the, we'll give you the behind the scenes, the, the, the passes or whatever they, that they give them to get into the locker room. We'll give you the media passes, the family passes. You don't even need to buy them. We'll give you the box seats that are probably worth tens of thousands of dollars. Have them. Just have them. We don't need, we don't want you to buy tickets, okay? We don't even care. We just have these and it, oh, you need some for your friends? Have them. Like that's what the NFL is doing right now. And it's just, it, they they always win. They always win. It's so frustrating. Like they can do so much wrong and they always win. And they're winning again. Um, okay. Actual football. Actual football. Um, a couple observations from you. First of all, let me say this. The Toy Story game. That was this weekend. Um, it actually turned out to be a pretty like a good product. I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. Like I didn't think that technology had come far enough for them to live track a lot of those football plays that were going on um, for them to do like the Bijan Robinson juke in toy story was like one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he juked out some poor, some poor toy that was actually a Jacksonville, Jacksonville uh, Jaguars football player. And it was cool. It was like, it looked really cool. Um, and a lot of the game looked really cool. I was impressed by it. I was like, you know what? I, I, when I first was typing this up, I was like, who is this for? Like, this was before that game actually happened. Like, who, what is this Toy Story game for? Like, are you going to, are they actually going to bring in kids for this? Like, are kids going to tune in to the Toy Story game to watch this? No, they just watch whatever dad's watching. Um, but it turned out to be a pretty good product. And even the dads could watch the Toy Story game and get enough of what was going on in the football field and still have the kids entertained. So 
kudos to the NFL and kudos to Disney for finding a way to put that together and ESPN for finding a way to put that together and still make it like somewhat discernible to watch. One thing I'm nervous about, I'll be honest with you. Uh, one thing I'm very nervous about if they continue to do these Toy Story games, which I, I don't think they've announced another one. I don't remember if they did or not. Um, but if they do end up doing another one, one thing I'm worried about injuries, like how are you going to go about injuries at this point? Like if, if we have another scary situation with like Tua, uh, Tua Tungavailoa going down, doing the fencing position again, like, are they going to have to have Woody come out or buzz come out or whatever? And like explain the fencing position because it was so weird and looked really weird on screen or Hey kids, this is a concussion. This is what happens when you take repeated trauma to the head and your brain starts to shut down or whatever, you know, like how do you, how do they get around that? How do they get around some sort of weird, horrific injury where they have to bring the card out or whatever? Like how do they put that on the Nickelodeon broadcast? Are they going to, are they going to have a toy ambulance come out and pick up their random football player off in the field and then drive them off? Like how are they going to do that? Cause it's inevitable. Like football players get injured. It's going to happen. People, football players go out on the cart it's not some, you know, it's it, not like it doesn't happen. Uh, we almost had a football player die on the football field last season, like this time last season. So, like, how are they going to explore that? How is, I'm sure they figured out a way that they're going to do it. They're probably just going to fill forever and such. But, like, what are they going to do? I'm very curious to see what happens. If they do end up doing another Toy Story game, I'm very curious to see what happens if somebody gets injured. Like, what the game cuts to like, do they just go back to cartoons for a little bit and then come back to the football game? Like what happens? What happens in that game? Um, so yeah, toy story game. It was pretty good. Like it was, I, I thought it was well done. I was, I was intrigued by it. I'm curious about the inju- injuries. What happens if somebody gets a concussion? Like if you have to explain the fencing position or whatever, like when, That'll that'll be interesting. Like if Buzz has to come out and explain the fencing position, then I'm all the way tuned in because that that would be like unexpected and kind of scary. I uh, like very dystopian to be honest with you. But yeah, I'd just be curious to see how they handled it. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty good game all the way around. I think I thought they not like the game itself wasn't that good. I mean, Atlanta's terrible, just god awful. Desmond Ritter is not the answer. I think all of his receivers around him are getting fr- very frustrated. Kyle Pitts, man. Oh, I feel so bad for Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is going to be, he's going to go to a team. Like he's going to be the next echelon of like Patrick Mahomes tight ends. Like if Travis Kelsey is starting to kind of get on the older side and they need somebody to come in, they're going to pick up Kyle Pitts in free agency or something like that. And he's going to be unbelievable because he is such a matchup problem for every single team that he plays against. Essentially, he is so unbelievably good, um, but he's never had a quarterback. He's had Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter as his quarterbacks, uh, and they've both been God awful. Um, so Kyle Pitts, I feel terrible for him. He, once we see him on an actual good team, I'm excited to see what he can do. Goes to like the 49ers or the, the, the dolphins or the chiefs or whatever, like one of those premier offenses, the, the Rams, if you will. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do because he is, it's not going to happen in Atlanta. Like plain and simple. It's not going to happen in Atlanta unless they get Caleb Williams. Uh, then maybe it'll happen. But by the time, like there's no reason for Kyle Pitts to come back at this point. Like what have they done for Kyle Pitts to make him want to come back and play for that team? I think at this point, Atlanta fans are just like, yeah, we're going to lose him and it's going to be very unfortunate. And he's going to go play for a really good offense. And he's going to be unbelievable because that's like all the inclinations that I've seen from Kyle Pitts, even though he hasn't done a lot because he can't really do a lot against with the, with the quarterbacks that he's had. Um, I'm excited to see him on a different team, to be honest with you, because I want Kyle Pitts to be really good. And I think he has all the intangibles to be really good. Um, being the fact that he's an unbelievable matchup, uh, matchup nightmare for everybody that he plays against. And he's got, you know, 
stick them on his hands every time he plays. Like he can grab anything. His catch radius is insane. Um, but yeah, that Atlanta team is terrible. Just god awful. Not a fun watch. Not a good time to watch. B. John Robinson is fun. Um, but outside of that, and Kyle Pitts is occasionally getting two catches a game because he doesn't get targeted enough. That can't, that team is terrible. Um, but yeah, Joe Burrow is another one. Uh, I'm moving on quickly here. I'm worried about Joe Burrow. I don't think he should be playing right now. There's a lot of stuff. If you go back and watch that game, um, he's just missing a lot. Um, he's turned into uh, a quarterback that does not have as many looks and he's getting, you know, he doesn't have his mobility and, and he's more mobile than I think people give him credit for. Um, and he doesn't have any mobility in that pocket. I think his injury is really causing him more uh, pain than he is willing to admit. I think it's really hurting that team right now. Um, and I, I think, you know, it used to be, it used to be a disaster if you tried to blitz Joe Burrow in the pocket, uh, he would pick you apart in that va- in in uh, that way. But he's got no uh, no mobility in the pocket. He's been a statue these first four games of the season in the pocket. Um, he's still hovering at about the same amount of time to throw as he did the last few years. Um, but without the mobility, it has gone down like a couple hundredths of a second, which is uh, insane to to me to think that that's like you know a large margin. But it is. It is a large margin for to be losing that amount of time in the pocket. Um, but he just has no mobility. He can't move around in that pocket right now. And it's really, it's really hurting the Bengals. And it's inevitably, I think, going to hurt him in the long run. Like if, if he gets hurt more severely, then he's going to have to sit out uh, a certain number of games, but I don't think he should be playing right now. Like he does not have the mobility. Um, I think he's a little hesitant to do a lot of the stuff that he wants to do because I think he is hurt. Um, and I'm curious to see where the Bengals go from here. Cause one and four in that division, a very good division um, uh, with the, the, the Browns being a very good defensive football team, their offense is still very questionable and the Ravens looking like a very solid football team again, even with all the injuries that they have, um, that they, that division is going to be very difficult to try to come back from one and four down to come back and try to win that division as a, as a steep hill to climb. Um, so I'm curious to see what the Bengals do with Joe Burrow. If they come out with any sort of injury update, like any sort of, um, injury precautionary, they sit him or something like that. And, um, I'm just curious. I don't know. Like they don't want to lose him for the rest of the season. And I think right now he's playing himself out of the starting position. Like they're not, he's, they're not going to bench him obviously, but I think he's going to end up hurting himself more than he, um, more than he should obviously. Uh, and it ends up, it's going to end up costing um, the Bengals. I think a couple, a decent amount of games because that offense is nothing without Joe Burrow at full health. So we'll see what the Bengals do. Um, it's just, it's tough to watch the Bengals right now. Um, the Giants. Giants are another one that I was looking at. I was like, wow, this team's really bad. Giants are bad, man. Giants are bad, 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 bad. Uh, their offensive line is a disaster. Uh, Daniel Jones, anytime, anytime he steps in the pocket, he's, it feels like he's getting pressured. Um, their offense has just been completely like it was. It's honestly stunning that they beat the Cardinals uh, at this point. Like that comeback was insane that they were able to pull it off is really wild, especially with what we saw from the Cardinals against the, the Cowboys. The fact that they were able to pull together a pretty good defensive output. Um, against the Cowboys um, and see what the Giants were able to do against the Cardinals, then it's stunning because this this Giants team is terrible. They're probably, as it stands right now, I think the worst team in the NFC. I don't think I'm really, really good. You know, I don't think I'm going out of limb on that just from everything that we've seen. They haven't scored a single touchdown in any of their first half so far this season. They're set, I think they're getting outscored 77 to 6 in the first half this season. Just that team has been a complete disaster complete disaster um and i'm curious to see where they go from here because i mean they were all in on daniel jones they just gave him that massive contract four years 160 million dollars 
Um, and I'm curious to see what happens because I mean, Brian Dable is the guy that kind of invented, um, crafted Josh Allen into what he is now. Um, and to see his offense struggling the way it is with Daniel Jones, who, you know, not the same quarterback as Josh Allen, but a similar build, I will say. Um, it's, it's concerning. And the, the I, I thought they were going to regress. I mean, they were a playoff team that won a playoff game last year. Um, but the amount of regression that they have has been really surprising. I didn't think they were going to regress this poorly. I didn't think they were going to be this bad and they've been just God awful, terrible. Uh, next Broncos, a good comeback victory, a, a very good comeback win. Uh, a little more concerning was the fact that they made, they, they basically let the bears look competent on offense, especially, um, it was a good comeback victory. Their defense finally showed up the last quarter and a half, I would say. But I mean, this, I, I don't know what to expect from this Broncos team anymore either because their defense is so bad. Like I, that was usually the part that you could kind of lean on with the Broncos, uh, up until this point, uh, where you could kind of lean on their D de- if their offense wasn't playing well, their defense was good enough to get them, uh, and keep them in games, but man, their defense is, tr- I think they have, I, I read somewhere that they had the worst DVOA in the history, in, not just the past few years, history of the NFL, um, up through four games and then season, they had the worst DVOA, uh, up to this point in a season in the history of the NFL. And they're one of the worst teams. They have the worst, uh, one of the worst offensive EPAs allowed, um, pad drop back EPA and rush EPA allowed on defense. So, and their offense has gotten a little bit better. I think um, Russell Wilson looks like he's getting a little bit more comfortable in the scheme that Sean Payton is kind of putting together. And I will say Sean Payton is doing a little bit better job of, it feels like getting him more into a mobile situation, kind of rolling him out a little bit more. That's working a little bit to more of their advantage, but they're not a great offensive team by any means. I still think they're very much middle of the pack type of offensive team, um, but their defense has just been terrible, like just terrible. Um, and, that's surprising because that should be the strong point of this team. And that's, what's worrying for this Broncos team is, um, and you know, who knows where they're going to be at the end of the year. They don't have like a large quantity of their picks trying to get Russell Wilson, Sean Payton. Um, and if this doesn't work out this year, if they don't even make it to the playoffs this year, which is a very strong possibility because they're in a very tough division as well with the chiefs, the chargers, even the Raiders. Um, then, I mean, ring the alarm bells, Broncos fans. If you're not ringing them already, then, you know, if they're scratching, uh, at, uh, you know, a top 10, a top 10 pick, uh, that they won't have, then, I mean, the alarm bells need to be ringing because nobody's going to want to bring in, uh, nobody's going to want Russell Wilson. Sean Payton is probably, nobody's going to want him, but you know, there's a long way down the road, a lot of more football to be played, but their defense needs to needs to get better. Um, because I mean, right now it's, it's clearly according to DVOA, one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL, obviously they gave up 70 points, not a great look. Um, but again, allowing that bears offense to look like relatively competent with Justin Fields, uh, throwing the ball downfield, more comfortable scrambling around and running the football a little bit more in that game. And the, and you know, the Broncos ended up winning, which tipped the cap to them. Their defense did step up for the last quarter and a half, um, to kind of put that, that uh, that come back together, but I mean, man, uh, Broncos fans, uh, there could be trouble on the horizon. I think more so than like twenty eight. What was the final score in that game? Twenty eight to twenty four, twenty eight, twenty one, thirty one, twenty eight. Excuse me, giving up twenty eight points to that Bears offense, which has been a complete disaster through the first uh, the first few weeks of the year, um, is is not a good look. Like there there needs to be. Uh, like that's not going to fly against the chargers against, you know, a lot of the good teams in that division, the chiefs, absolutely not against the chiefs, the chargers even. Um, so 
And again, like the Broncos, they have a winnable game coming up against the Jets. That's a game that they should win. Uh, but after that, it only gets more difficult. Chiefs right after that. The Packers is probably going to be a tough game. Then they get the Chiefs again, and then they get the Bills. Vikings, who have a pretty solid offense. Then they have the Browns, who that's a very good defense, not a very good offense. The Texans have looked like a def- decent offense so far this year. C.J. Stroud has looked like a stud as a rookie quarterback, as much of a stud rookie quarterback as you can get. Um, but he's looked very good uh, as a rookie quarterback for the Texans. And then they have the Chargers. The Lions are very good. The Patriots, that's a game they should win. Chargers and then the Raiders again. So there's a lot of, I mean, they have a tough, tough schedule coming up uh, outside of the Jets, which is a game they should win. Browns is a game they should probably win. I'll throw the Texans in there as well because, you know, Texans, it feels like they're coming out more hot than they are. Like they're more hot than they are good, if that makes sense. Um, and then the Raiders again. So uh, those are games that they should win. But a lot of these games, they're going to be underdogs. Probably most of these games. Underdogs against the Chiefs twice. Underdogs against the Packers, I would imagine. Underdogs against the Bills, the Vikings. And underdog against the Chargers twice. Underdog against the Lions. And maybe the Raiders. We'll see on that one. Um, so most of those games, they're going to be underdogs in. And I you know, wouldn't be surprised to see them win a major- or lose a majority of those games either at this point. So... We'll see with the Broncos, man, but they are in a uh, very precarious situation uh, just in general because, again, they don't own a lot of their draft capital at this point. Try, since they went out and tried to get Russell Wilson and they got Sean Payton, they used a lot of draft capital to get those guys. And in the end, it could cost them a lot of longevity in terms of a uh, just a football program in general. In general, Like if we don't see a turnaround, a big turnaround from this team um, and a lot of big trades that bring in a lot of draft capital, the Broncos fans could be in for a very long, you know, a long time before we see the Broncos really turn it around again. And that's just, you know, that's total speculation because they could hit on a fifth round quarterback that, you know, all uh, Tom Brady, um, that just turns out to be, you know, the savior, you know, so it could all change very quickly. Um, and we'll see, we'll see, but you know, right now it's just not looking, it's not looking marvelous, especially with their defense struggling as much as it is. So we'll see with the Broncos. They should win this week, like against the jets. That's a, that's a game they should win. Um, but after that, like they're needing, they're going to need a couple upsets in order to try to sniff the playoffs, if you will. Um, but we'll see, we'll see with the Broncos. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's the NFL, the NFL's going on. That's the NFL. Uh, I think that's going to wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we got playoff baseball going on. So make sure you tune into that. Um, I'll tune into that as well. Uh, NBA is right around the corner. It's a, it's a good time to be alive. It's a good time for sports fans. Right in the middle of uh, college football season as well. It's going to get, uh, we're getting into a conference play for everybody. I think everybody's in conference play now at this point. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Sports, man. Who doesn't love sports? Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please remember to follow the podcast uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, wherever you listen to music, podcasts, whatever it is. Make sure you follow the show, the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. That's the title of the show, obviously. So make sure you go to those podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. Go find it. Follow the podcast. Leave a rating if you don't mind as well. Uh, Five stars. Greatly appreciate that. Uh, And yeah, we'll be back next week to talk football, probably. Maybe a little uh, MLB playoffs and such. Um, But nonetheless, whatever we're going to talk about, we'll be back here, same spot as next week. You're listening to the Sports uh, Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake.